Alex, we're back, and we are. this is, so, it's warm now, I don't know mm -hmm. if it's warm in New York. Oh, it is. It's warm is. in New York? Yeah, it's in the high 70s today. And, like, in my room, I can't really pan my camera, is still a space heater, because as of, I don't know, a week and a half ago, I still occasionally would turn on the space heater for maybe an hour just to get the room a little bit warmer. Uh, come mm -hmm. all the way down to this base of my apartment. And now, I have every single window in this house opened. All the fans are going. It's slightly humid. I'm terrified. I want the winter back. Yeah, it's a, the, the second you, you, you lose the cold weather, suddenly you realize how, how badly you wanted it. Trust me, this is not doing me any favors. I don't like hot weather. It makes me uncomfortable. I can already feel the humidity starting to creep in and make me sweat every time I even stand up. I'm not into this at all, Patrick. Uh, that's why what I get one month where I don't have a two hundred and twenty dollar gas bill, and then uh, and now I'm just the AC is going to be flipped on a week from now. Oh God, it's, yeah, and I, it's worse for me because I have an AC in the bedroom and there's an AC in the living room, and I'm my office is sandwiched between those two, so I have to get both of those going and then a fan so that a cross breeze can then blow into my office. It's a nightmare. I live in a fucking nightmare. Whoa, whoa. I, okay, I'm going to stop talking to you, and I'm going to start talking to the other guy who's with us That's this morning. You're too intense. I'm on edge. Uh, we are joined uh, this morning by Andrew Gruen. I know he says that's how you pronounce his name. I was much happier with Andrew Groin, uh, which, yeah. we, which we came to on Friday when we didn't Andrew have anyone Groen to correct us. Andrew would have been good. If it pleases you, man. Uh, so, yeah, you are the author of the upcoming Still Kickstarting, A History yeah. of the Great Empires of EVE Online. I got that right, didn't I? You did, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I actually still mix it up sometimes because I changed the title like two weeks before the Kickstarter launched, so I still screw it up, probably more than most other people do. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on. The original title was um, A History of the Great, I'm sorry, A Grand History of the Great Powers of EVE Online. Okay, which okay. Was something that came to me in bed one night, and I never thought to change it afterwards because like, oh my god, there's something there, and it's wonderful, and I love it. But then I never thought to like tweak it, and so then the second I got an editor, he was like, no, 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 no. You need to just, it's almost there. Just changed a little bit. I it's hate the closeness that that changed it. Yeah, I hate naming things. Naming things is the worst. It is I, <laughs> when I come up with a new idea for something to do on the site. The thing that paralyzes me is not doing it, and then people disliking it. It's having to come up with a stupid name for it. I just <laughs> yeah, that, that's I, like the long held. The long-held secret of journalism is that writing the article is easy, right? Coming up with the headline is actually the, the entire difficult part of all of journalism. Because that's the only yeah. part anyone's ever going to remember. <laughs> yeah, I, I can go. Yeah, I can go. I can go write some some story, and then like that part's no problem. Then you spend in thirty minutes just rewriting a headline. Like especially like the struggle with writing a headline is the headline I want to write is probably not as catchy or interesting or SEO friendly. Right, right. But so it's like how do you write a headline that gets people into the story without like selling out your soul and having the most boring <laughs> sort of descriptor of what's the content you've written. And I imagine that must be similar for a title for you know, they I spent an hour on a story. You're going to spend a year on a book. <laughs> you know, they, they told me it was a bad idea to name it this, actually, because it is terrible for SEO. And I don't mm. have, like, even the easiest time finding my own, like, headlines and stuff like that when I try to, like, figure out where the book has been covered or something like that. I have to... Searching for that long mess of words is really actually quite difficult. But I love the title so much, and it just says so many wonderful, like, epic things to me. It just confirms, like, when you read that to me, it confirms that all of those suspicions that you had, that, like, 
those battles that you hear about in EVE Online are just the tip of the iceberg and there's this grand drama underneath. Like to me, that title confirms that. And so I decided to just go with that rather than, rather than do something that the marketing folks that I was talking to had, well, not really folks, but it makes it sound like I went into a board reading with board <laughs> marketing people, but uh, a couple of people had, had marketing backgrounds said it was probably not a great idea, but I think Can people seemed to, seems to like it. Can I can yeah, I throw we'll, one one alternate title at you just real quick? I would just, love you know, that. Just, just I, I know you want to work on your SEO. I know you want to <laughs> click on it. So I just have this idea. A bunch of people started playing a crazy space game from 2003. <laughs> you won't believe what they did next. <laughs> For ten years. For ten years, you won't believe what they did. They never stopped doing things. Yeah, that's I, I I'm telling you, people click on it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, Alex. So you, at least we know now that if Giant Bomb doesn't work out, we, you've got a second job in writing. <laughs> yeah, I'll do. I'll I'll get a job at a you know Storify or something. I don't know. Um. We'll 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 get to your Kickstarter and your Eve Online project uh, soon enough. But Alex, uh, what were you? What'd you get up to this weekend? Did you just like lay on the floor and cry? You seem like you're in a bad you're in a bad space with this heat. Wow. Okay. So I look that bad, do I? All right. Uh, <laughs> No, you no, 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 set no. expectations low, and then anything you did is better yeah. than you just laying on the floor and crying. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I went a step above that at least. Uh, I was at least mostly mobile this weekend. Uh, I did play a bunch more Mario Kart. I have basically unlocked everything there is to unlock in that game. Uh, we will be able to talk about that game on Friday because the embargo is on Thursday. Uh, oh, cool. So no, more, no more teasing for that. I will finally be able to say what the hell I think of Mario Kart then. Is that out next week? No, it's out at the end of the, the month. It's out on the 30th. Okay, all right, sure. Video game embargoes. They are probably trying to get people to buy Wii U's for that, system, for that game, so I imagine them trying to get that review out as, uh, ahead as early as they possibly can is their, their thinking with that. Yeah, that probably makes sense. Yeah. So other than that, uh, I played some more Hearthstone. Uh, I downloaded Super Time Force, but I have not started in on it yet. Uh, I did I go see... Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. I just wanted to throw this at you. Uh, I saw a movie this weekend called Under the Skin. Uh, yeah, it's the one with Scarlett Johansson, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a really weird, creepy sort of sort of horror movie, I guess. It, I, I mention it to you because I feel like it's the kind of thing you might be super interested in. It's, it was sort of described to me as the kind of invasions of the body snatchers if it was like an art film. Uh, to a degree, yeah. It, or, it's, or, spe or species. Species if, is if, definitely the closer analog. It was definitely the art film version of, of species. Um, okay, because yeah, she plays like a, an alien that entraps men, something like that, right? Yeah, and it's all done, like there's very little dialogue. It has the pacing of, you know, most Kubrick movies and that everything seems to go on just a little bit longer than is comfortable. <laughs> um, but it's, it's. I thought it was pretty well made, actually. Uh, it's, it's you know, if, as long as you know it's slow going in and you're kind of willing to go with its, its extremely sluggish pacing, it's pretty goddamn beautiful to look at. And uh, it's from the guy who made Sexy Beast, which is one of my favorite, like, random crime movies of all time. Uh, and I think this is like it's it's weird in mostly very good ways. So you see this in a theater or in, in the in the VOD? I saw it in the theater, uh, oh, okay. which hmm. I lucked out because anytime you go to a theater and it's a horror movie of any kind, uh, there are always those assholes that decide to start yelling things whenever there's a quiet moment. Yeah. Uh, I lucked out that there was really no one in the theater that was looking to to yell things during the quiet moments, especially considering most of the movie is quiet moments. 
Uh, but there was one guy who just kept muttering things to himself right behind me. Just like anytime anything would happen on screen, he's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. All right. Like it just like he just had to judge every scene individually and mutter that out loud so that he could understand that that was his criticism of it. Well, she gets naked in that movie, so maybe he was just he was just psyched. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the nude scenes he was talking through. It was usually most All of right, the well, most I don't have an answer. Yeah. He's really solemn through the nude scenes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's when his attention is wrapped, apparently. All right, okay, I guess it's not out anywhere yet. I just looked to see if I could if I could rent it on iTunes or Amazon or something, but not yet. I'm sure it's probably in like a month. I'm guessing probably sometime soon. All right, well, I will. I will keep that in consideration. That sounds. Uh, hopefully, that guy doesn't show up to my place. Yeah, I. That would be. Yeah, <laughs> that would be really evil. Was like, hey, you should. You should. Here's just like slip him a note. He's like, you should talk to this guy. Like, he's really into movies like this. You can go hang out with this guy and don't come to theaters when I come to them. He also had an entire backpack full of snacks that he kept walking, like reaching into at various okay. times. Uh, so you know, this is a guy who put a lot of thought into you know his movie going experience. Yeah, this is a guy who loves the movies, and I, I think we should let him have that. Yeah, for yeah, sure. maybe, you know, Alex, maybe you should stop going to movies and running it for everyone. We thought I'm about sorry. that. I'm sorry. Having an incredible experience. I did a bad. <laughs> Patrick, what did you play this weekend? I played. Uh, well, I played. To drink too much and stay up till four in the morning uh, at my lake house on two different nights. But uh, when I did get back on Sunday, I managed to uh, finally finish Child of Light, which I don't know if I have really anything to say or add that we haven't already covered when you finished sure. it last week. But it uh, it did was you enjoy I, the end game of that. Yeah, it actually. So that's okay. I just said we're not going to Child of Light. Now I'm going to talk about Child of Light. But that story is complete nonsense and garbage for mm-hmm. nine tenths of. I have no idea what's going on. Like, I mean, I, I do, but it's just, it's not... It's not well explained. It's not well told in, in, any, in any measure. And then at the end, while I still don't know really what's happening on a broader level, but I, like, there's an emotional connection with your main characters and the enemies you're encountering and the reasons that you're doing the things you are doing for the last maybe fourth of the game. And while I don't think it salvaged what came before, it at least there were emotional beats and I understood what, what the characters were doing and why they were doing them and there was actually some really dark stuff mm-hmm. uh, happening without, without spoiling what exactly occurs in the last couple of hours but like some, some decent emotional beats that was like, oh, I, if this game was like half as long and sprinkled this stuff throughout it, I think it probably would have been a whole lot more effective. Not to mention I got to the point where, and this is bad for an RPG, where I was psyched when I managed to finish a battle where I didn't level up. Yeah. Because I didn't want... I didn't want to touch any of the skill points. I didn't... I would have loved it if in the skill tree... Because basically, you know, there's like three splinters that you're, you know, kind of working towards. You know, it depends on the character. But if I could have just, like, clicked a target, like if there was a spell, I want to work towards this one. Yeah. Just auto-upgrade along the way. Just, Just work towards that and then let me know... Hey, skill unlocked. I it's little stuff like that that I think uh, streamlining both of the story and the mechanics it would have been so much stronger. I guess I guess what I'm really looking forward to is is hopefully it does well enough for them to give it another shot because I I think there's a lot there that would have been a lot better. 
Yeah, a lot of great concepts they could very easily build on next time. Uh, I would still like to see them try it again. Uh, you know, like I said in the review, that is a game that I think is worth finishing, despite the opening several hours not being terribly great. Yeah. Um, okay, now now we've talked about yeah. Child of Light. Now we yeah. may move on to other games. <laughs> Andrew, hopefully you didn't play Child of Light because you're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, these days, I, I pretty much only play Hearthstone and Dota. Um, I spent about four months working for Red Bull uh, Esports and covering the Dota 2 professional scene. And so wait, 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 hold on. Let's let's back let's back up this train a second. Sure. What is what does that mean, Red Bull Esports? So they have a they have an editorial branch and <laughs> how does this work? Okay, all right, we're going right. You need to explain this. <laughs> they to explain. They cover like it's just uh, Red Bull has a big presence in esports, so they run a couple of events and they really sponsor a few players, that sort of thing. And so they have uh, an editorial website, like RedBull.com/esports or something like that. And they hired me and Rob Zachney, who's a really well-known uh, strategy game uh, writer. He writes for a uh, lot of PC gamer yeah, stuff too. Yeah, right? yeah. He, uh, he's been, I think, he was a columnist in PC Gamer for a long time. Um, and yeah, so we cover the professional Dota 2 scene uh, because I had sort of a background in StarCraft 2. It's sort of where I, my passions lie in video gaming. Um, but I got kind of hooked on Dota 2. And it just became, as with so many other people, just sort of like this all-encompassing obsession where you just, you can't play Dota 2 and not learn something for like the first 500 games. Like you play forever, thousands of hours, and you're still learning things. You're still getting better. And it's just like this tremendously addictive, wonderful engaging, rewarding experience, and I sort of got hooked on that. Um, but during the Kickstarter, I didn't have time to sit down and play for an hour solid blocks anymore, so I really got hooked on Hearthstone. And I know you guys have talked a little bit about Hearthstone. Hearthstone's probably like number two behind Child of Light of games you can't talk about anymore because you probably just... No, we, we just, just, it's just when, we, when we talk about Hearthstone, we don't know what we're talking about. It's probably <laughs> more, more where that's gone. I, I haven't had a chance to play too much of it in the last uh, couple of weeks just because I haven't... Uh, I haven't had like a crappy TV show to be watching, which is like normally where my Hearthstone right. play comes in. Is like, right. well, Twenty Four's premiere. Was, well, I guess maybe because Twenty Four's premiere was not very good, but I'll still watch the whole thing. Right. So like that might become where I wa I, I play Hearthstone the, the next. Yeah, no, absolutely. The like, that's, that's the beauty of Hearthstone. Well, I actually do the exact same thing where I sit down with my wife and we watch Star Trek: Deep Space Nine on Netflix, and I play a couple games of Hearthstone while they. While the episodes go, it's a beautiful little companion to other media. So I've been, do I've been doing oh, that through the entirety of the NBA playoffs, so <laughs> it's working out yeah, pretty well for me. Yeah. So I'm going to ask again about Red Bull esports. Okay, sure. just because I think oh, it's cool. interesting that so not like it's not uncommon for brands to be like a, a brand like Red Bull, like obviously because it's an energy drink, to be present at something like an esports event, but like in terms like. How does them having an editorial branch? Well, I get why they would have it because it allows them to sort of better engage uh, the, the types of people that they have that they're advertising to. But mm -hmm. like in terms of the pitch to you, like how how does that work? Like what is Red Bull looking for in terms in terms of like what you should cover? Um, well, I mean they're just looking to be an authority on esports and have people come to Red Bull for knowledge about esports and stuff like that. And so. As far as what exactly their angles were, I'm not really entirely sure. I needed a job after Penny Arcade closed, so <laughs> I, that was that was pretty much my motivation. Not um, unreasonable. And, and you know what? Like, I, it, it was a weird sort of experience. It's not a. It wasn't like my favorite job I ever did, but like they were good people. They they were fine to me, and um, 
it was kind of weird because I've never had a, a non like strictly journalism job before. And so it was really strange to go up and like get and try to get an interview with somebody and they'll be like, no, I'm sorry. I can't talk to you. I'm sponsored by monster energy drinks. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't talk to you because yeah. Yeah. Like the, Esports is still sort of like this fragile business, and they're all very, very scared about losing their sponsors. So they won't even like be perceived as talking to you if you're a competitor of one of their sponsors or something like that. Wow! So you can't get an interview with one of their players or something like that. It's, oh it's, man, I've been I've been turned down in interviews before, but n- never in the context of no, I'm sponsored by Mountain Dew. I that's amazing. I wish I could put that on my resume. The that's energy drink business is very competitive in esports because esports is all like. 13 to 30-year-old males, and that's whoever energy drinks want. Does Monster so, have its own editorial team? Like, do you guys have, like, a West Side Story knife fight? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think th- I don't think they do, but Monster does. They, they have a couple tournaments. They sponsor Team Evil Geniuses. Um, and I know Coke recently got into... I, I can't believe I know these things. I can't believe I know who energy drink and soft drink manufacturers are sponsoring in the world now. Because hey, someone has to. Someone has to. But I know Coke was a big sponsor of League of Legends, and that kind of spooked Red Bull away from wanting to cover a lot of that kind of thing, or like to, to get involved too much in, in League of Legends because Coke kind of had that on lockdown. I don't know if, how much Red Bull can compete with Coke, but like Monster, Nas, Coke, Pepsi, all those things, just a big, massive drama. And it was really, it was really frustrating a lot of times where you'd have to, you'd have a great story, but you just couldn't get it because the person was sponsored by the wrong people. Oh, man. I think the equivalent of that for us is we work for a site called Giant Bomb. They're like, yeah, we're not letting this executive anywhere near you. <laughs> yeah. One of the unfortunate realities of our, our naming convention. Don't, uh, don't, don't say our, our website name at an airport. <laughs> I work for CBS Interactive. Uh, right, right. There it is. Sounds better. Like yeah, well, <laughs> well, before we were bought, it wasn't even much better. It's like you could go, well, I, I work for a whiskey like no that's that's not that's not much better that's i can't tell if that's better or worse at least that's less threatening yeah that's true <laughs> that's true um so yeah i was i was playing uh, super time force over the weekend i played mm-hmm. uh maybe about like 90 minutes i played through the first world i got through the first boss before uh you uh you sort of play through this uh, the first section of the game, and then you're allowed to kind of Mega Man style choose whichever level you want to go to after that. Uh, at some point, like the the first world kind of acts as here's how this game is structured, and then here are I don't know like six or seven stages that you can tackle in any order, uh, so you can go unlock new characters. Uh, but uh, it, it's so every, the times I've played this at. Uh, events and this game has been at events for a number of years. Although I, in theory, understand how Super Time Force works, I never spent enough time to really grasp the nuance of like why I should be placing certain characters in some areas. Like the the whole idea of swapping characters across a timeline sounded really nifty, but you really need about a solid hour before it starts to click and you figure out which characters uh, you like to play as, which characters are useful. Uh, across the timeline, but once you start doing that, it is really interesting how m- much the game stops being. It sort of is, so it's it's an action game that at certain points stops being an action game. Specifically during the boss battles, uh, the boss battles where you have about a minute in order to just take out this giant creature. But and it really is, I guess, on some level, just about swamping them with bullets. But it's about strategically swamping them with bullets, and then look thinking about 
your actions as being across an entire minute, then rewinding that minute at various points and finding spots to drop in new characters mm. so that they're taking down the enemy across that part of the timeline that you've dropped them in, whether it's a full minute or you know maybe the last 30 seconds when you've exposed all of the weak points and you're just trying to hammer away uh, at, at a creature as much as you can. But that's where the, like, the really fun strategy comes in because like, like the main dude that you have, uh, the first guy you encounter, he has just kind of like uh, bullets that fire straight and then when you power it up, you can shoot like a stream of three bullets in, in, in three different directions. But that's not very good for precision shots. So then you have a sniper and so when you have these bosses where, you know, like, you know, like, a, like a boss, you basically have like the, the red sections of them that you're trying to hit, uh, that exposes the weak points, so you drop the sniper in for that full minute, use the sniper to try and take out all those red spots, and then you've got like a grenade and some other options, and you kind of set them up in, in areas where they're, they're not going to die over the course of that full minute. And then at the end, when you do like that final run for that final minute, it's amazing because you have like 20 guys jumping around as ghosts that you've all orchestrated, and then you're just playing the one last character that kind of gets to watch all of it play out as, as hopefully you've set up uh, the dominoes to take out the guy in the last couple of seconds, and it's weird. It then becomes a strategy game in a, in a really interesting way. That sounds really intense and really complicated, but in a way that I really want to, like, I actually kind of want to stop doing this show right now and go play that, because <laughs> I, I have had it downloaded and I didn't get a chance to try it yet, and now I really want to try it. Well, I mean, that's the thing, like, Super Time Force, when you look at it in a trailer, it seems pretty simple. And it is pretty simple when you first start playing it, because it's, okay... You're shooting dudes. Those dudes are blowing up. When you die, you can play as another dude. But it's 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 the way they set up the enemy encounters that forces you to be uh, smart about how how you do that. And then they also the game doesn't seem like it's going to be especially long. It took me mm-hmm. about half an hour to maybe get through uh, the the first like main world. But the game has a ton of encouragement for you to go back and play through areas again. There's lots of secret stuff that you don't find along sort of the critical path. Uh, they also have uh, sort of like skill shots that are scattered throughout each stage. So occasionally when you shoot an enemy, they'll uh, they'll spit out like this little glowing object. And if you collect those, that unlocks new stuff back in your main base. I haven't gotten too deep into exactly what you unlock, but as for example, like if, if a guy uh, is on a level above you and you shoot him down below, that little piece is going to shoot in the wrong direction and you're not going to be able to grab it. It's not physics-based. It's, it's, it only shoots out in a very specific direction. So you have to either rewind or just on the next time through, make sure you position yourself so that when you shoot that guy, you collect that little bit and then uh, you can uh, unlock new stuff as you continue to go through the game or cycle through uh, old levels. But it's a game that, you know... Maybe like a lot of Cappy games, it, it seems extremely simple, can be explained pretty simply, but as you play more of it, you realize there's a lot of interesting depth to what just seems like a modern Contra game. I know you said Cappy games, but it really sounded like you said Kathy games right there, and now I'm thinking about what a video game mm. based on the comic strip Kathy would be like. <laughs> what do you think? A video game based on the comics for Kathy would be like. Yeah, I'm thinking some, like a sort of uh, side scroller meets dating simulator. <laughs> okay, so like, like, is there any action involved, or like, this is all? Yeah, there's some pla- there's some light platforming. There are okay. some enemies, uh, mostly in the form of calories. Uh, then you have to go on dates, which always go disastrously. And then you know, at the end of every level, she just goes ack, and that's it. 
Right, I'm picturing like instead of a, instead of a life bar, it's like a disappointment meter where you only have so much disappointment that you can stomach. I'm see, okay, now you're on board. I got you. You're in. You're in. We're gonna make this next Kickstarter. We're making the Kathy game. I feel like if you had you come up with this idea back in the 16-bit era when they were making <laughs> platformers out of every license they could get their hands on, mm. that you might you might have actually been able to pull this off. But you know what? Like, damn, this this giant bomb thing doesn't work out. If you go to if you went to kick, if you went to Kickstarter saying I want to make a side-scrolling Kathy game, you might not be able to get the license, but you could say in, heavily. What's another instead of ack like spiritual ick. successor to the Kathy? Yeah, ick, ick is you know that's close enough. You could pull that off. Yeah. All right. I know. I'm. I'm. I've already checked out of this show. I'm like writing the design doc in my head right now. So maybe we should just talk about Andrew's book. What do you say? That's fair. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing uh, more Super Time Force. Uh. But uh. You know, only sunk like a, an hour into it, and I, I had intended to play uh, some Tex Murphy last night because I'm. St- I'm still so psyched that that game exists in 2014. Although I'm. I'm sort of. I'm afraid if I play it that it'll be bad, and if a new Tex Murphy <laughs> game is bad. I, I really don't know if I'll be able to process that. So, <laughs> so I will play it, but I'm 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 very uh, I'm very nervous about about booting that up. But I'll, I'll do that fair. at some point this week. Um, uh, but yeah, Andrew, so you are you are still in the middle of this Kickstarter. You have right you know, what, maybe like 15 days or so left, probably. Yeah, I think like, I think it's 13. But I was yeah. gonna say I hope, you you probably know the exact number of. Uh, Hours, minutes, and seconds that you have left on—they're dripping away from me, and it's actually kind of terrifying to watch the days. Like, oh god, it's only twelve now. It's like, oh god, no, no, no! I need more time. I gotta get this together. <laughs> Didn't anticipate this. I need more time. So, why don't you give for people who maybe aren't, aren't aware of uh, uh, the Kickstarter itself? Like, what what is the pitch? Like, what are you what are you trying to write with this book? So, the book is called, like he's mentioned before, a history of the great empires of Eve Online, and it's sort of this. You know, everybody who follows the gaming press reads those stories all the time in the headlines about these crazy battles that happen with like 4,000, 3,000 players. But people just nuking each other with lasers, and there's these huge wars. Like you wrote a story on Giant Pong that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of it, it, so. Side note: so when I went to Max Temkin's birthday party, which is, <laughs> I think, I might, I don't know if that's where I met. I might have met you there. I'm not sure, but anyway. I had been telling Max about the story I was writing about Eve Online, and then he mentioned to me that, oh, Andrew, I, I mentioned one of the guys right. I talked to, he was like, oh, Andrew talked to him too, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> He's probably writing that story. Like, no one's written it yet, but I know Andrew has done Eve Online stuff. So I wrote my story faster, thinking that you were writing it for Polygon or something. I didn't want to ask you if you were, because then it might prompt you to write your story right. faster. So then I got my story up like three days ahead of when I was sort of internalized <laughs> in my own head. And then when I found out from Trin that you were writing this book, I was like, oh, I am an idiot. But that I'm so glad I got that story honor. out. <laughs> it's the most wonderful honor to be for you to have been afraid of my Eve reporting. That's, yeah. I, I couldn't have asked for a better compliment than that. But Anyway, uh, anyway yeah, so continue. Sorry, that's but, just... But yeah, I mean, like, that, sto- that story is... is the, an example of the kind of thing that would be in this book where it's like you hear about these crazy battles but those are just the tip of the iceberg of what's been happening for literally 10 years where there's just this insane drama going on behind the scenes uh, this weird bizarre virtual world where 
it's just unlike anything that's ever happened before in video gaming. It's honestly, it's like it's unlike anything that's ever happened before in the history of humanity, where we have this virtual world where this war simulation has been running for 11 years, and just the craziest shit has been coming out of it. And it's just like somebody needs to write this stuff down because I feel like I'm not trying to have like delusions of grandeur, but like I, my hope is that if someone would read this in 50 years when virtual worlds were kind of a bigger thing. And think about like what it was like in the very first ones. Like what it, what were people doing when these things first became a thing in the world? And so it's like, and on the other on the other side of things, it's like Eve Online is this really old school MMO. MMO that's like it's like Ultima in a lot of ways, where the players just have like their own agency. Like they can do whatever they want to. And there's just such a there's such value in figuring out what players do with their own time and what they do when they can do anything. And it's really neat that what they do when they can do anything is fight wars and try to make money. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think there's, there's there's something really important that you touch on there, and you, you mentioned it, I think, in the bottom of your Kickstarter where you have to mention, like, challenges and problems, you know, ways this could go wrong, and mm -hmm. the, one of the ones you mentioned was that the stories that players tell, their own interpretation of history or the history that they have built in their minds or the legacy they want <laughs> to leave is not necessarily... The truth or what occurred, uh, you know, what you read on a wiki page is not necessarily how history went down. And the importance of historians is to try and encapsulate the truth to the best uh, that you can by, you know, talking to various players and finding out where they all kind of intersect and, and find the, the, you know, right, the, closer, right. the, closer, the closer you can get to the truth of, of a story that played out rather than the truth told by the victors. Right, exactly, and it's like, um, you kind of sound like you're actually giving them the benefit of the, of the doubt, where it's just like this natural bias of being a human where you want to tell a story that's more favorable to yourself because that's how you perceive things, like everybody's the hero of their own story kind of thing. Um, but what I'm finding out, and it's actually, it's, it's a really big concern of mine, and it's something that I work really hard to negate, is that people will deliberately lie to you to enhance their leg legacy. Like, there's people like you talk to the Mitanni. Oh, um, yeah. He's, he's a kind of person, and he, I'll get to that later, but he will <laughs> yeah, deliberately lie to you. You can and, do a whole show on that guy. Right, you absolutely could. He's a, he's a fascinating person. Like I, I, If there wasn't so much press about him already, I would absolutely write just a profile on him as a person. He's a fascinating person. Um, and he'll deliberately lie to you. And the thing about him is that he's such like a supervillain that he'll tell you that he's lying to you while he's lying to you because he needs you to appreciate how good he is. <laughs> like that's one of the great safeguards of working with him. Like, oh, there's actually other people that I'm a little bit more worried about because maybe they're not going to tell me that they're they're being de deceptive in any way. But but yeah, it's it's a big concern where you're you're wondering whether people will just want their own great narrative to be told, and then you find that over and over again. Where if you talk to enough people, they're like, well, you know, that story of amazing heroism on the part of Goonswarm isn't exactly the way things actually happened, and you know, this alliance was already on their way down before they had their mighty victory. That kind of thing. It's just, yeah, yeah. I had the the, the last I've spoken to the Mitanni a couple of times over the years, and the 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 first time. No, the, the most recent time, from the most recent story I wrote, you know, there were, you know, several points throughout the interview where he's like, I would ask a question, he's like, do you actually want to know the answer? <laughs> then we're going to have to, uh, you know, turn off this recorder. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, right. I do. Uh, but, you know, he's, you know, he is the epitome, I think, of a lot of, when people think about EVE Online, mm -hmm. you know, he sort of encapsulates a lot of that, you know, 
you know, the fact that, you know, the idea that EVE Online is this giant virtual chessboard that people are trying to think 10 steps ahead, that they, you know, run PR campaigns, uh, that they, uh, you know, the, the diabolical, yeah, I mean, he's a cartoon character, right? I mean, like, right. that's right. that's the fun he's of it. He's Dr. Claw, basically. I, I, that I've come, is, to, understand. I've come to understand over the last, like, couple of months that the Mitanni is, like, what a, a huge part of his brilliance isn't necessarily, like, tactical or even in, like, his legendary spy master skills. It's actually in public relations, where he, he's detailed to me before his public relations strategy, where he's like, you know what, I understand what a lot of other people in this game don't understand, which is if you make yourself constantly available to the press, if you make your contact information really available and you always do interviews, people will continue to contact you instead of other people. Yeah. And that gives you the opportunity to tell your story over and over again, whereas these other people, like nobody really knows, in the general press, everyone will go to the Mitanni, no one's going to go to the leader of Pandemic Legion. Or right. no one knows who used to lead Band of Brothers or something like that. And that's this really interesting thing about him, where he is such a, a charismatic person who gives these amazing quotes to journalists who want to use his words because they make their stories so much better because he's just a really gifted speaker. And that charisma, his skill is charisma. And it, it's part of what puts him in the press all the time. And it's also part of what allows him to lead this ridiculous army of like 9,000 players. Right, but it's, well, super super, it's super dangerous because, and that's one of the, you know, the things you learn as you, you know, report for longer periods of time is the juicy quote may be the one that you want to put in the story and it feels really awful when you can't put it in the story because it's like the one missing piece that is going to, you know, really just, you know, it's going to tie the story together. Right. Uh, and right, right. and and but he's one of those guys where you really have to try and you got to double check you got to go do your homework because he has become so skilled at giving you exactly what you want and you know he's very good at giving you a lot of background information about hey do you understand this term like let's break down this term and he kind of gets you on his side in a certain way <laughs> you have to make sure you're talking to someone else uh, so that you can actually you know, try and tell the yeah. story the best that you can. That's one of the most interesting things about EVE Online is that you have to, like, you can't ignore someone like that, though, because he is such a valuable source because he's been there and he's been the leader through a lot of these really big events over the last seven years. So you have to just, you have to brave the minefield and you have to go talk to him and you have to hear what he has to say. Um, but you, all, I mean, you also have to have safeguards in place for the, when the inevitability comes that he's going to give you misinformation. I remember he gave, he gave a speech at FanFest one time, and he began with the, him saying the phrase, um, everything I'm about to tell you is true except for the parts that aren't. And that's just <laughs> him in a nutshell. That's what he takes pride in. Son of a bitch. He just loves to gloat in front of the crowd and tell you that he's giving you misinformation. And when I went to FanFest last year, one of the amazing moments was, I don't think it was him, but it was Goonswarm, which you know he's, he's associated with. Uh, one of their... You know they're they're known for being trolls throughout the Eve Online community, and one of the things that they do is the I forget what it's like the little locations they have throughout. I forget as soon as I write an Eve Online story, then like all the terms disappear from my head right, right. about like two weeks later. But basically, they have these different citadels scattered throughout the Eve Online universe, where you can name them whenever you want. They just choose to name them after spoilers for Game of Thrones. <laughs> So they showed this in a slide at FanFest. They're like, let's just show you, by the way, like what we have throughout the universe, and then click to the next slide, and it's just a whole, you know, this is, you know, 
you know, a year ago, and so it's like all these spoilers for characters that die in Game of Thrones, like several <laughs> books away from where the show is at, and the whole right. crowd is just like boo. And I like managed to like turn my head away. I just ha- wasn't looking. <laughs> and then don't. someone next to me is like, "Oh, a bunch of Game of Thrones spoilers." I was like, "You s- son of a bitch!" <laughs> Such good heel tactics. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like um, that's one of their. I, I honestly think that the great troll of the Mitanni, that his career troll that he's been working on for like the last six years, is to make people believe that the goons aren't trolls. Because yeah, he's sure. been telling this story for years about how when they first came to EVE, they were these really upstanding citizens, and they, they just wanted to fit in, they wanted to appeal to the old guard and make them make them appreciate them and be, be really good citizens within EVE. Um, but it was everybody else who unleashed their power. You know, who just provoked them, and finally they just gave in and saw this up, and they became the monsters that everyone accused them of being. Um, and, and I really think that he's just been working on this, and this is his career. All of it is leading up to the devil convincing the world that he doesn't exist. That kind of thing. <laughs> Alex, what do, you, what do you make of this EVE Online business? Well, so I, I was. I, I have obviously never played Eve before. I the entirety of my exposure to it comes from the stuff that uh, like you, you Patrick have written, and also it's the stuff that Andrew has written about it. Um, that said, I backed the book because I think the story sounds super fascinating, and you know, I the the way you're talking about framing it sounds really interesting to me. Uh, the the question I have is that you know, it, I I I even though I don't play Eve, I still understand the basic concepts of like online games and some of the right. you know the obscure lingo that they throw in there and that kind of stuff. Is there a concern that in trying to tell these stories uh, to people that it's going to be difficult to frame it in a way that someone who doesn't really follow MMOs or these types of games or this just type of culture? Uh, for a way for them to be able to easily understand and frame it against, like, you know, the kinds of conflicts and similar types of stories they'd be able to grasp from outside of gaming. Right, absolutely. And I absolutely think there is that capability. I mean, a couple people in the Kickstarter brought up the idea of just making a glossary, uh, which is, you know, sort of, it's inelegant in a lot of ways, but right. it's, it is a solution. Um, but, I mean, it's it's something that I feel like I've been training for for a long time, which is, like, when you write for... For Wired, which I did for about, uh, about seven months, uh, for a little while, um, they really drill into your head the fact that the Wired audience is everybody. Like Wired reaches so many different demographics, so many different types of people that they will get like the really hardcore video gamer who knows everything about video gaming, and they will reach people who are just sort of vaguely interested in tech and don't really know anything about modern video games or anything like that. And every story has to appeal to all of them. And they'll bash it into your head and they'll work with you for months. They'll, they'll kill stories. They don't care. They will edit stories. They will send you back six different times uh, story edits and that sort of thing. And I really think that what I learned from that whole experience is that you just have to start from the beginning. You just have to not write this for like the super crazy hardcore players because those people number in the dozens in EVE Online. The people who really understand this are mm-hmm. dozens of people, maybe hundreds. Um, and so, really, it just comes down to being basic, just being brave enough to be basic, but also try to make everything interesting at the same time. And it comes down to just using language in a certain way that's both interesting, but also just goes back to the beginning and explains everything calmly. Because the great secret, I think, to a lot of this stuff is that even really hardcore EVE players, people who have been playing for seven, eight years, have no idea about the actual history of what went on in the Outer Rim territories, that sort of thing. Um, 
the people who actually follow this stuff on the forums are very, very few. And so it's really futile to, to write a book that appeals specifically to them. When you're, um, like, say, if you, I mean, obviously, you know, you're going the Kickstarter route, you're going to, you know, it, it's already been funded, so the book's going that way. But if you were, like, say, pitching this book to a publisher, like, what would be the story, like, the first, you know, the main story that you would say, look, this is the, this is one of the key things that I'm going to tell in this book? Like a, like a story from the Eve universe? Yeah, just like, you know, like a basic overview of one. Yeah, so the, it's difficult to point out like one specific story because my favorite story in the Eve universe is that of the Great War. And the right. Great War lasted three years. Yeah. It's this huge, ridiculous, amazing, epic tale that is consisted of you know, a thousand different smaller tales. Um, but then if you really want to get into like the nitty gritty of this, like the Great War is, is without a doubt the greatest story that's ever been told within Eve Online, and it builds up this absurdly interesting climax of betrayal and um, just backstabbing, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but if you really wanted to get down to like one little story, that's the, there's the story of Istvan Shogatsu and the, and the Guiding Hand Social Club, who was a, who was a spy mercenary, basically, uh, hired to infiltrate another corporation in, back in like 2005. And he just sort of went entirely beyond the call of what he was hired to do and just wanted to make a statement to the rest of the world. And so he spent literally eight months of real world time infiltrating this corporation, getting like spreading his seed throughout the entire corporation. And so ultimately assassinating the, uh, the corporation's leader and looting literally every asset that they had, billions and billions of ISK. And like the nitty gritty of stories like that are just like, you, you can't not be interested in that. It's so fascinating. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> That's pretty amazing stuff. Um, the Kickstarter campaign, uh, I, I thought the video that you did was actually a really great example of how to do uh, a Kickstarter video. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's short, it's to the point, but it nails all the, the key details. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of Kickstarters tend to get wrong in that mm -hmm. they tend to get too verbose and a little over-explanatory. Sure. Uh, how did you go about uh, putting together that Kickstarter? Uh, the video, yeah. Okay, so well, there's just a, the whole thing. Th this okay. is a good. This is a good story because <laughs> <laughs> the Kickstarter okay. video, especially, I've gotten a lot of people who really liked the video. I'm like, oh man, that video you did was was really good, really really perfect. Hit all the right notes. It got me really excited about the project. I was like, oh, okay. So the thing about that is, I made my own video and it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and so the day before the project launch, um, Max Temkin, who runs, uh, who is one of the co-founders of Cards Against Humanity, does. Kickstarter office hours in Chicago. So he'll, if you're running a Kickstarter, he'll bring you into the office. He'll sit down with you for 20 minutes and just sort of say, you know, what are you doing? How, here's how we can maximize this project for you. Like, this is what you should be doing. This is what the notes you should hit. Sort of all advice on Kickstarters. And so I had met with him like twice before. He's a really nice guy. He's um, just been extremely helpful with this. And so I meet with him the day before the project launch just to do like a little spot check of everything. And he's like, no, this video's got to go. Like, it's the wrong aspect ratio. Like, you've got a blue glare on your face for no reason. What the <laughs> hell is that? Um, and he's like, well, but I, li I like some of this. We'll keep some of this. But so in the middle of the day, the middle of the work day, he just, like, he declares, okay, we're going to do this over again. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to launch tomorrow, but if, if we can do this by the end of the day, that's fine. So, you know, he does a couple things at work, picks up a giant bag of camera equipment, and literally whisks me away to a, a friend of his, his design studio in Chicago, sets up all kinds of camera equipment, professional audio, does the lighting himself, then reshoots the entire video himself, stays up until midnight editing it for me, and then decides that the cover image, he doesn't like that either, the, 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 
picture that says a history of the great empires of EVE Online right before the, the video starts. And so it makes me a couple options for new uh, images as well. He's like, I really want this project to succeed. This is a really great project, and I want this to work. And it's, so it's, it's midnight, and he's sending me this thing on Dropbox, and I'm launching in like 10 hours. Just, I mean, that's, that's I, my favorite story from the It's an unbelievable dedication that man has to Kickstarter. <laughs> he is the Kickstarter whisperer. It is, yeah. We have spent a lot of time painting Max Temkin as an asshole on this website. And <laughs> but he's a beautiful asshole. He's and a I've, wonderful I've done all asshole. all that great work. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's... that's so, I mean, but so explain a little bit about the emotional arc of launching a Kickstarter, which, you know... All humble people realize that it's probably going to fail, and this was a terrible idea. <laughs> and yet, you like wildly overfunded in hmm. the first day. So it's not really so much of an arc as it is just rising terror. <laughs> it's just all terror. It's there's no good part about launching the Kickstarter. Like the excitement, you've already by the time you're launching the project, you've already spent so much time with this that you can barely even see why it's a good idea anymore, why you like this anymore. And so, like, I was confident, like, I believed that we could probably, like, wrangle together, like, 40% funding in the first day and then climb over, you know, the next three weeks to, like, 60%, and then we could rally at the end, and then we could hit the goal, and it would be good. Like, I believed I could do that, and I was, I was comfortable with that. Um, and so then, when it actually went well on the, on the first day, it was just, um, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just that it's, it's really gratifying experience to know that this thing that you started to believe was kind of stupid over the last six months, people agreed with you. Like people finally under, like could see and were agreeing with you that this was a good thing to do and a, and a worthwhile thing to do. Um, and then after that, after it went well, just like, just stress again, just like more and more <laughs> stress because I, I came to realize that like, I have an opportunity now, and I have this opportunity to turn this into something even cooler than I thought it was going to be. So Max Temkin, again, like three months ago, told me, like, no, don't do a soft cover. Do, like, this big hard cover. Do this, like, obviously, old table-style book. I'm like, yeah, no, no, Max, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't have the capabilities to do that. This book isn't going to raise enough money. I'm not going to set, like, a $50,000 goal or something like that. That's ridiculous. And so I'm like, now that's what I'm actually trying to do, where I have the funding to do that, to go out and hire a professional designer, to print these big, beautiful books in, in, in color and do all these wonderful things. So, like, I have, like, six meetings this week to try and figure out, can I do this? Do I have the funding to be able to, to make something that I feel like can really impress people, really be something that I'm super, super proud of? And so, yeah, that's, that's, so it's, it's terror and then joy for, like, three minutes and then stress. <laughs> There's a, a lot of people asking if those are EVE Online maps behind you. They are, yeah. No, I, this is something that I turn to, like, all the time. I have, like, four of them here. Just, like, this one's from 2004, 2007, 2011, 2014. And they just, like, I look over there, and, and you can just really in an instant see the progression of how empires have expanded and collapsed. And, like, you can look at this map, and immediately it's obvious that Band of Brothers isn't there anymore. And, and that happened in, like, the span of, like, three months. You know, it went from, like, the sprawling empire to nothingness. And... They just, I love maps. Like, I've always sort of had this love of maps. Like, I, when I was a kid, like, I didn't read Lord of the Rings. I just looked at the map and was, like, studying things and, like, drawing my own maps on graph paper and stuff like that. So to be able to have something right here, like a visual aid that helps me, helps remind me of how fascinating all of this is, it's really wonderful. 
Another thing that a lot of people have been asking in our in our chat is how much EVE Online do you actually play, or how much do you plan to play over the course of sort of researching the project? Because I've I, all the stories I've written, you know, I think I played maybe two hours of EVE Online before oh. I went to FanFest just yeah. to just put like some context in my brain. Right. But I never found that I really needed to spend too much time in the game to to cover it. But I was also yeah. doing compared to what you're doing, like surface level reporting about uh, some of the events. Yeah, I play, I play casually. I'm, I'm what they would call a high-sec care bear. Uh, I don't like get involved in wars. I don't go out and like PvP with pirates and stuff like that, but I just, I, I tool around. I play, I play EVE much like you would play a normal MMO. Like I just like I go and I run missions and I buy ships and I play around and look at pretty spaceships, that sort of thing. Um, and lately, the biggest thing that I do, and even I realized this was an interesting thing for me, that I realized that what I was doing had become part of the game because I was inside the game doing a little mini book tour between the, the main trade hubs, just sort of like chatting with people doing like AMAs and Jita and Dodixie and Heck and that sort of thing. And so, like, that's sort of my, my in-game role now has become what I do in EVE as I just, as I report. Like, I go and I do, I talk to people about the book or I'll send people mails in-game trying to get their attention to, to do interviews or I'll do interviews on comms, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, well, what, I do, what I do in EVE Online is write a book, <laughs> which is pretty much what I do outside of EVE Online. I mean, that, that's something that, that people have also brought up that is something I've encountered uh, just Tracking people down is, can yeah. be exceptionally difficult. Uh, not only because people tend to be very private in Eve, you know, they they do these, you know, participate in these really grandiose battles that get a lot of public attention, but mm -hmm. the players, you know, the actors within these battles are not necessarily very public people. Or the moment you get on Skype with them, you realize like, oh no, like the you know, they're not necessarily like the most articulate or the Matani like right. level, like prepared to explain to you everything about this battle and what happened. Right. Uh, and and purely just tracking people down, I found, is what I spent most of my time doing on on the stories that I report. Is just like, okay, who are the, like the handful of people I still know from Eve Online? Can they tell me how to track down this guy? Because I can't register for this message board because I'm not part of the community. Yeah. And, and, and weird things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the things that's that's been most valuable about my time sort of working on this on the side for the last six months is that you just sort of make connections, and that's the only way that you can get in touch with people uh, in EVE is to make connections and be introduced through somebody else. And so you're just sort of building this tree of contacts throughout everything, and you find the right people, the right hub people who know everybody, and it makes it makes everything a whole lot easier. When someone can vouch for you and say that, you know, he's done some work in EVE Online before, like he didn't screw it up, he's not like this, you know, reporter who is just going to be, you know, writing this really surface-level stupid story that's going to make a ton of mistakes. Um, those sorts of things really help. And CCP actually has been a really, really generous partner with that sort of thing where they've put me in touch with their community people who have been willing to put me in touch with players who maybe have left the game. Like people mm -hmm. who were really big in the game back in 2002 don't necessarily play anymore. People who were big in the Great Northern War and back in 2005 are prob probably play alternate characters now. They don't check their other characters because you know they got too many males, that sort of thing. Um, and so they've offered to be a sort of like a liaison between those players and be like, they can't give me their email directly, but they can reach out and say, look, this guy's doing a history book. Would you be interested in talking with him? I can give, I can make the introduction, that sort of thing. And so really that's what you just mentioned is a huge difficulty. And it's one of the things that I've had to spend my, most of my time doing, uh, but it's been worth it. And it's, it, 
I, I feel really comfortable getting in touch with just about anybody these days. If this book is a success, mm -hmm. will you be writing the full history of Dust 514? <laughs> I think you could do that probably in about 25 minutes. Okay. Wait, no, I'll, hold on. I'll, I'll give you the history of Dust 514. No one gives a shit. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought. It's, it's kind of amazing how much no one gives a shit because... Like you heard at FanFest, like I don't know if you guys paid attention to too much of that, but they basically just sort of killed Dust 514. Yeah, they said yeah. they're doing like a, a brand new shooter from the ground up with the same right. team, and it's going to be PC focused, and that's all the things that people were clamoring for when they right. announced that this was going to be, you know, this this PlayStation exclusive. And it was amazing to be at FanFest last year, and you know, at the end of each day of FanFest, so they do their keynote stuff at the end of the day as opposed to the beginning of the day, uh, and then they have, you know, different sections for different parts of EVE Online, and then Dust514, and the community, and all these things they want to walk through, and any time Dust514 came up, just the, the smallest smattering of applause, like people, like, <laughs> you were just prying it out of this community to show any sort of interest in what was clearly a major initiative yeah. CCP, and then they would announce like, and an Eve Online in the new expansion, like we've replaced the sound effects for the engine, and like, woo, woo, <laughs> like the whole place is standing up, yeah, like new sound effects for engines. But that's why yeah. I'm really like, oh, and we've rehauled the entire like you know the shooting engine. It's like, <laughs> I mean, the simple fact that they got away with killing that, not exactly killing that game, but basically just replacing it with something else entirely just goes to show you how little people do actually care because a company would not risk that if, if they weren't really certain that they weren't going to alienate too many of their fans. Yeah, and it's, and it's just, it's a bad game. Like, I've, I've played yeah. it a couple of different times and... It's just boring. Try, try to give it the benefit of the doubt because the basic premise of I love the stories of EVE Online, I have zero interest or time to invest in EVE Online as it stands... But being a soldier, a participant in these great stories in a shooter context, which I get, sounds awesome. And mm -hmm. I do. I hope it's something they can pull off in the future, even yeah. if Dust wasn't it. Because I think it really would allow a lot of people to participate in a universe that they find fascinating, which is why they're interested in your book, but feel alienated by the way it plays because it's just not of interest to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I did one time, um, probably about six to eight months ago, I did this sort of like interview, so to speak, with the, the Dust514 and EVE Online Reddits. Just to, and I just asked, like, what do you guys think of Dust514? Just like talk to me about that and just give me your general reactions. And I asked both communities. And both communities were pretty much uh, in agreement that Dust514 was kind of a disappointment. And this is this is the people who are like reading the Dust Five One Four Reddit, who right. are saying like, yeah, yeah, I play this game all the time, but it's it's not what it should be. Yeah, so they they missed the mark, and it's it's I'm a little bit confused as to why they're still going at that again. Like, why are they trying to do something again that didn't work out the last time? I feel like they would probably. It's this weird thing with CCP that they do. They did this amazing thing, Eve Online, and people love it. Like even people who don't play it love it, and they have five hundred thousand subscribers after eleven years. Like that's incredible for an MMO, and they don't seem to plug that much money back into Eve. Like you would think that they would really devote themselves to making sure that this game is going to be around forever, going to be around for 50 years, because it has that potential. But instead, they're working on World of Darkness, they're working on like diversifying their portfolio rather than doubling down on what they already have. 
And I think that's really frustrating for a lot of people in the heat community. Well, yeah, and I think they're in a weird spot as a studio because what makes EVE Online work, if you change too much of it to make it more broadly appealing, you run the very real risk of alienating the very people who have built you to the point that you're at. Mm -hmm. And they seem extremely sensitive to that, which is why they build a portfolio around EVE Online as opposed right. to within EVE Online because at the end of the day, if the little experiments and even some of the grander experiments they do around EVE Online don't work out, they still have EVE Online. Whereas right. if they screw the pooch on EVE Online, they don't have anything to fall back on. So like World of Darkness, you know, seven years of tens of millions of dollars just for nothing. At least right. Dust 514 shipped. Right. Even if Dust 514 didn't work out, they can still fall back on EVE Online. And I think that's the weird position they find themselves in because... The, the expansions for EVE are, are never in the direction of trying to get more people to play EVE Online. It's the weird stuff around it, like right. comic books um, or, right. or, or trying to do things of that nature because if you if you tweak EVE Online too much, those people will run away or go to a different game. And right. they seem maybe too afraid of messing with what works uh, mm. at, at the risk of, of losing. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, this, this expansion pack is the perfect example because this is, like... The major changes, from what I understand in this, I haven't studied it too much because I've been so focused on the Kickstarter, but the major changes, from what I understand, are, like, changes to, like, logistics operations and, and like, shipping vessels and stuff like that, which is stuff that, like, nobody's going to actually care about outside of the EVE universe, but it really gets them excited. And they, always, they always have this, like, one nugget of information out there that really just that sparks imaginations in everybody outside of EVE. Like, Ben Kuchera was at FanFest, my old boss, Ben Kuchera, now at Polygon. And he's chatting me on, on Gmail, and he's like, oh, my God, dude, did you hear what they're actually doing with EVE? There's going to be these stargates that players can build that they don't know where they go. Like, imagine being the first person to go into the stargate, and you don't even know where you're going to go. Like, that's so freaking cool. Like, that, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's going to be the live stream event of the year when that actually happens. That's going to be a lot of fun. So, I mean, they, they, they do have this understanding of how to get people excited. They, they do understand, like, the tone and the timbre of EVE that gets people gets people's engines wrapped up. Yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that is legitimately a really cool yeah. idea. <laughs> um, so, Alex, what are, you, what are you up to this week? Uh, let's see. Well, today I will have a chat up on the interview dump truck with uh, the head of Video Game Championship Wrestling, Baz McMahon. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah, he uh, their their end of season show is tomorrow night, so I got a, a forty five minute or so conversation with him going up. Uh, I will have the Mario Kart review for later this week when the embargo lifts on Thursday. Uh, other than that, just kind of starting to work on E three booking stuff. Yeah, yeah we're actually we're actually starting to get uh, appointment stuff from various publishers and. You know, I mean, the, the challenge for, for you and I who are putting together a lot of the, the guest stuff for the, the, the night shows, E3, yep. is that a lot of it can't happen until very, very close, which I really stresses me out. Yes. I, I would much I would much rather have, like, a decent sense of what's going to happen a couple weeks out, but that's just not possible because, you know, if some cool new project is announced the week before E3, that's the only time that the public relations department is going to acknowledge that game or that developer will be at E3, and right. that's the only time we can then say, hey, cool, can you come by on Tuesday night and, and talk about your game? So, like, All we can really do now is just try and 
cover our bases while just, knowing now while knowing full well that all of the real work happens about nine days before the show. <laughs> yeah, it's just about getting the bugs in PR people's brains so that they know, just, you know, can constant, like, nagging reminder that, hey, we still need someone, just, you know, kind of let us know when you get a chance over and over and over again until finally we get something together. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Alex, uh, sorry, Andrew, what, what goes through the, the last couple uh, weeks of, of the Kickstarter? Like, what do, do you have more things that you're announcing as... Uh, you get towards the end of the the stream, even though you've already, yeah. uh, you know, obviously hit your hit your mark. But now you're clearly looking into to doing some, yeah. some more expansive things. So it's, I've been really quiet over the last two weeks, and I've been I've been trying to be very sensitive about like not spamming my backers' inboxes with uh, like rallying cries, like let's you know spread Thank this you. on Facebook and Twitter because like I hit my goal and they did amazing things for me and like my life and I don't want to give them spam to, to deal with. So like I've been really quiet and just trying to be like sit down and work diligently uh, to try and come back and finally when I do have something to say, I'll have something really amazing to say. And so what I'm working on right now is I'm hoping that by Wednesday I'll be able to uh, announce a hardcover version. I have to have two really important meetings but I'm, I'm really hoping that if those go well, I'll be able to show people, well, not be able to show people because it doesn't exist yet, but talk to people about what I want to do with, like, a big coffee table, beautiful thing with, you know, giant full-page versions of old Eve propaganda posters, which are just, might be the most fascinating thing about the game, and it would break my heart if I wasn't able to include them in the book. These huge, like, community-made propaganda posters that I just want to, I want them to be just, like, loud and proud, huge full-page things, and that's got me really excited. Like that's what I've been working on every single day since I hit the goal. And yeah, so that's, that's my week is trying to figure out how to get that to make that happen. Cool. cool. Yeah. I'm going to be, uh, I'll probably be doing uh, spooking with scoops on Tuesday night. Uh, at some point this week, I'll do uh, a quick look solo of dread out, which is the Indonesian made horror game inspired by fatal frame that comes out. Um, I think later. I think it comes out on Friday, uh, so I'll, I'll record that. That'll be up later this week. But I'm excited to play that. The demo of that was spectacular. In that, I did not enjoy my time with it at all. <laughs> uh, in in a good way. In a yeah. good way. Uh, so I'll be looking at that. Uh, I've got this Tomodachi Life feature. I've been kicking around that I don't know. We actually didn't even get to chatting about that. We'll 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 see how that pans out. Uh, by we'll talk about Friday. Friday. Yeah. We'll, we'll we can revisit that. But um. I've been working on a feature, and then Nintendo released a statement that sort of <laughs> killed a bunch of what, <laughs> yeah. a bunch of what I was asking people about. I'm glad they responded, but yeah. it's like, oh, c can you give me my 48 hours back that uh, <laughs> I spent on on something like this? So uh, we'll see if something is salvageable uh, there. But uh, yeah, we'll see what else comes out throughout the week. But uh, Andrew, we super appreciate you uh, coming on the show. We'll uh, have to have you on again to tell us and uh, more stories of Eve Online as they as they unfold. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has really been a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Well, Alex, I will talk to you on Friday. Oh.